Politics on the Rocks. That was Thunderstruck by Steve and Seagulls. I'm your Steve. host, Nick. Join with me, Cameron. Hey. Bookie. Hello. And Chris. Hey there. Hey there. Hi Can there. you do me a favor and spell Steve and Seagulls? Yeah, Steve and Seagulls. Oh, okay. Uh, cool. Uh, special guest, shall we? Shall we? Uh, we shall. Um, Cooper's Mark. Uh, Cooper's, I say Cooper's Mark. Golly. Cooper's Craft, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, it comes in about 100 proof. How much is this whiskey? Uh, it sits right around $30. Right around $30? Nice. How do we think? What do we think? I take definitely thought it was more than that. Yeah, I would have guessed it was in like the 45 to 55 range or something like that, at least. It's good. Not bad. No, not bad at all. Good oak not bad. to it. It hits the nose. Well. Yeah, some oaks. Yeah, it is. Caramel. Really yeah. heavy on the nose. Heavy on the nose. You feel it like in the... The back of the top of your mouth. Yeah. That makes sense. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> um, anyway, base our base bro this week is Eli Dickens. He was the young gentleman who stopped a would-be mass shooter at a mall in Indiana. Right? Indiana? I don't sure. know. So it was like Greenville Mall or something like that? Yeah. I'm not sure what state it was in. Yeah, well, wherever it was, he shot and killed the Greenwood Park Mall active shooter within two minutes. Um, Police say he fired 10 shots at the gunman from a distance of 40 to 50 yards and continued to move in on the assailant. That's uh, a 40 to 50 yards with a handgun. That's That's not... It's a pretty solid shot. Yeah. I mean, that's half the side of the football field. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, uh, I guess, technically illegally carrying at the mall because it's small. Right. So is... he had, he he was a you know, valid, consi- oh, well, he was constitutional he was, carry. Uh, yeah, carrying under mm-hmm. the constitutional carry, so he doesn't need it, a permit, but yeah. the mall had a no-gun sign. Yes. They which like- definitely stopped that other guy from yeah. coming in with his gun. <laughs> yeah. Moral of the story is carry everywhere, always. Yeah, don't, don't let, let a, the sign stop. Yeah, you. don't let a sign tell you how to live your life. And this kid's pretty <laughs> young too, right? Yeah, he's twenty two. Yeah, super based, super super. They're based. gonna make a villain out of him and try to ruin his life, but for sure, know. which is insane. It's right? probably just gonna well, help him out in the end. Yeah. He's gonna be like a right wing celebrity. Yeah, another <laughs> another Kyle Rittenhouse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, this week we have a super fun episode. We have Thomas Kenny and Jacqueline Rosario joining us today. Um, we did a little fun little interview with them, had some pretty interesting conversation. Um, yeah, it was pretty exciting, um, to have some local school board people on and, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So here we go. All right, cool. So joined with us today is Thomas Kenny. He's running for the district four seat on the Indian river County school board. Uh, Thomas, maybe just give us a quick little 30 second about yourself and you know who you are. Hi, y'all. I'm Thomas Kenny, running for School Board District 4, like he said. And uh, I'm a small business owner in the financial services. I do life insurance in four states. Um, basically, I've been following school board issues really closely. And what concerned me the most was 
how citizens were being treated and what was happening in our school system. So as a result, there are obviously the mass mandates that were happening. That was a big thing. But also what's happening with school systems nationwide has also been happening here locally. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of what we call non-governmental organizations. The common term is NGO. Mm. And they're nonprofits for the most part, and they create problems. Mm. You know, a lot of woke ideology is founded in uh, the, quote, systemic racism. And so what they do is they say you have this problem with the uh, systemic bias or whatever, or racial bias or whatever the case may be. And then the nonprofit comes in and decides that they have the solution for you and they charge your school system right? for all the quote professional development, which never really gets solved. It's really weird. Um, (laughs) If you go back and look at some of my uh, statements I've made during public comment, uh, one in particular is uh, a group called Project Implicit that was actually releasing studies into the math curriculum, talking about how uh, conservatives are more implicitly biased than any other group in the United States. Project Implicit was a PhD project at Harvard, and they later became a nonprofit. And they have a bunch of PhDs sitting there waiting to come to your uh, school system, private organization, or other government entity and teach you how to be not implicitly biased. It's a really weird business model in my view. I was gonna so say that's that. the big thing with me personally is protecting the school system. So a lot of what that does is it creates, um, it creates environments where people are sort of activists more than their educators. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that uh, we've seen that in the school system. Yeah, we've noticed a lot of that. And so, you know, that's that's one of the big things I was seeing. What got me into this though is people started inviting me to come, and they're like, you know, you need to run. You have a great perspective on things. It's different than your uh, others who who speak. Not that theirs were bad or anything. Mine was just different. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it, and I, you know, I've been in doing local politics here uh, for a little while. I worked on the Trump campaign, um, all sorts of things like that. And I said to myself personally, I said, I'll never run for an office unless I'm invited. And what I mean by that is unless someone says to me, hey, you need to do this. Mm. You know, we're, we're citizens here. We want you to represent us. Right. And that's how I came to this position. Um, it's something I learned through history when you start reading Jefferson and a lot of these guys. Uh, you realize that they, <laughs> they would, a lot of times, they'd rather not be in government. They right. wanted to just do their lives, and but they always came back to serve because people asked. Right. And so that's the way I sort of approach it. Oh, very good. You answered our first question already. Naturally, that was uh, well well spoken. <laughs> what uh, was your first question? <laughs> uh, it was just going to be what motivated you to get involved with the school board, which I think you uh, you hammered that home. <laughs> oh well, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah, go ahead. And with that comes, you know, a firm belief in parental rights. Uh, I think the Moms for Liberty movement, and they've endorsed me. Moms for Liberty has. Mm-hmm is something that is very significant because it's it's a demonstration of years of frustration 
Right. And quote, the pandemic brought it all on. Parents started to see because the kids were at home doing online modules and things like that. What kids were really learning. They're like, this is nothing like the way it was taught to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what is all this like uh, stuff right in here, this activism stuff. And so, you know, that's been an eye opener and it's amazing to me that moms for Liberty was started out of this County. And then I think of Laura Zork working for freedom works mm-hmm. and freedom works started their whole department of education reform and put her in charge of it mm. after she had uh, lost her reelection bid. So, you know, to me, Indian river is at the forefront of educational rights for families and we're a very family oriented community if anything yeah i would agree and with i that. think that's a beautiful thing mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i definitely agree with your uh comment about being uh the forefront of it we've seen a lot of that with desantis kind of you know sticking it to the establishment in a way um so yeah perfect um so as we've established you're very uh pro parental rights which i think is something all of us here on the show can appreciate um do you think that extends to school choice? And if so, how do you see that properly being implemented? Do you think that's like some sort of voucher system or do you have other di- other ideas in regards to that? Money ultimately following the student. Uh, Arizona, I don't know if you've looked into it. I've yeah. looked into it a little bit. Yeah, you know, we, they're getting vouchers the back to them with, with a check amount essentially for their taxes. And they're like going, here, take it wherever you want to go. I think that's a great idea. Um, but parental rights to me is such an opportunity for schools. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people are like, well, you're, you guys are being too conservative. You're stopping the schools from making progress, blah, blah, blah. No, it's an opportunity. Look, we've lost. <laughs> Brian Barefoot says it all the time from the board. We're not talking about reading rather than arithmetic. Well, yeah, because you're violating parental rights. You're violating the rights of kids and so that's why you're not you're mm-hmm. breaking the law mm-hmm. and the reality of it is is like here are your rights for the parents they're inalienable unless of course a parent's abusing a child and all that and neglecting purposely neglecting and all that and you know there's always been rules about that that if a teacher or an administrator see something right. like that they report it right but it's an inalienable right mm-hmm it's like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I often say to parents, your pursuit of happiness is the joy of raising your children yeah, as you see fit. We've seen a lot of uh, the, you know, some of the school administrators, they seem to, to think that they kind of have precedent over the rearing of the kid and the, the parent is just doesn't know better or something to that you know, regard. <laughs> right. It's, uh, it's, well, it's yeah, nice to see people it's, it's kind of waking up to the one know, thing the a parent. parent does know is their kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And they know their child, they know their children. And so this is it. Parental rights really allows a school to refocus its mission on education. Right. And, you know, because one of the things that's happened in all of this is the student-parent-teacher relationship has been has been eroded, mm-hmm. and the parent is the hardest part to keep in that triangled relationship because they work, they do whatever, they they have other kids, and so you know, it's that's the that's the hard part about it. And 
a lot of times we have just as parents you know the res- there, with every right there's responsibility so there's that mm-hmm. side of the equation as well but it allows the community parental rights allows the community to let's bring the mission of the school back to education hey we're not going to violate parental rights and uh you know worry about mass we're going to trust our parents mm-hmm. we're not going to um violate the law about curriculum and leave pornography in the libraries. Yeah. We're just not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's You a... know, that was that was the silliest ruling ever. Yeah. My opponent right now is saying, well, it's not a library book's not a curric really curriculum until a teacher assigns it and then the kid goes and checks it out and brings it for the assignment. I'm like, are you gonna be a technocrat? When we're spending 50% of our curriculum budget, we can spend up to 50% of our curriculum budget on library books. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. We buy them under the curriculum budget. Why are they not curriculum until they're... And then then the second thing is, is, well, why do you guys complain about books nobody reads? I'm like, well, why are you filling a library with books nobody reads? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's a really good point. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know, that's a waste of my money regardless, whether you're reading them or not. Not very good It's a waste of my money. Coming from over there. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. bad arguments. (laughs) Really poor arguments. Um, I I like that you brought up... uh, I was reading that today, and I was like... Huh? Yeah, we just read that <laughs> before yeah. we started. Yeah, actually. I like that you brought up uh, Mr. Barefoot because right before we hopped on here, we uh, we all read the article together and In the we got a good news. chuckle out of out of his stance on where the school board stands. Did you did you read my uh, editorial with that? I don't we, think so. We only just found out found this article uh, maybe two days ago. Me and Cameron, so I'm Cameron's yeah. cousin. We were talking to his dad about. You know, having you and uh, Jackie on, and he he threw us the article, and he was like, he's like, you guys should read that ahead of time. And we, uh, yeah, we're we're not the biggest fan of Mr. Barefoot. I think it's safe to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, IndianRiverNews.us. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Blade is the owner, and Jackie and I both have uh, published responses there. Mm-hmm. And you'll talk to Jackie, obviously, to her about it. But my biggest thing is, is he he threw a discordant accusation into this race. And that totally undermines serving the board faithfully. Mm-hmm. You know, board protocol requires you to work collaboratively with board members. And that article is really targeting Jackie Rosario, but it's targeting anybody with Bombs for Liberty. And we're yeah. both endorsed by them. Mm-hmm. She's also endorsed by the governor, and I think they knew it was coming. Right. And so, you know... The guy over there at 32963, I call it five-digit fake news, <laughs> he, he, he's just his scribe. He really is. He's nothing more than a scribe. Yeah, yeah that's – But I'm really – this is really irritating because you are, you are undermining working faithfully with people. Right. You know, send someone else out there to say something stupid like that. <laughs> but for you to say it, it just doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah, I like how and he I tried to felt it was really unfortunate. Yeah. I I like how he kind of accused uh Rosario of turning the school board into, you know, a, a hyper politicized kind of agency when, you know, as you outlined earlier that it was because of them trampling on parents' rights that it kind of entered that political arena. 
Well, it is. It's, you know, look, a school board is this way. It's a, you are an elected representative at the core of everything you do. And this, you know, my, my opponent is been in education for 38 years, I believe, or something like that. She's a really good teacher. She was a good administrator, you know, where you have autonomy to make decisions. But that doesn't make you a good school board member because now we're talking about governing. Right. We're not we're not talking about just, you know, taking all this school experience. Yeah, you can you can talk the talk and, you know, all the acronyms and all that stuff. Great. But are you you're saying I know so much that you parents need to step aside and let us do our job? Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't make any sense to me. At, At the core of it is you are an elected representative. And so the boss of a school board member is the people who voted, are the voter, mm-hmm. are the taxpayers. And then it's the school board member. And then the school board is the boss of the superintendent. And the superintendent, we set policy on school board. We do all those things and set the direction. And we say, superintendent, now make it happen. And he's like the CEO. And Dr. Moore is not a bad guy, but it's it's like as Jackie will tell you, if you if the school board's left, he's rolling left. If the school board's right, he's rolling right. Right. Yeah. Mm. Well, so nobody's more what against kind of the mask do you mandate. Want, public. Nope. Nobody's more against the mask than Dr. Moore. Right? <laughs> yeah, as he said in the uh, school board meeting. Um, What's so that? In, in the, we we watched this one of the uh, televised school board meetings a couple. Uh, probably about a year ago at this point for one of the episodes and you know he made a uh, a comment he's like yeah well you know no one's more against the mask mandates than i am and you know you could hear the audience kind of grovel and it was like yeah i'm sure i'm sure that's what it is <laughs> well then he went on to implement math right. yeah right right um <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah it just yeah. doesn't make you know and it, it was against it was they implemented those mask mandates after parental rights right and the mm-hmm. story goes you know as it August, it was implemented. My opponent voted against mandates the first time, but it passed three two. Mm-hmm. So they have the mandate. FLDOE, Department of Education, writes a letter to him says, uh, "You're violating parental rights." So he comes back and he runs this compromise called tiered mitigation. Yeah, yeah, remember that. And yeah. this is yeah. And then on the 14th of September. With that compromising thing, my opponent switched her vote. And if you watch that meeting on the 14th, it is the most confused meeting in the world (laughs) that Peggy Jones inadvertently votes against herself. Oh, gosh. (laughs) I I, I remember. I remember. So the vote was 3 2 again for masks with Terry voting for them. And then on the 23rd, the DOA said the DOE sends yet another letter and says we want an answer by the 24th at 5 p.m. Mm. You're coming to court for a hearing because masks are the sole discretion of parents. Right. They are there. they mm. highlighted it and put it in bold letters in the in the letter. And within like four or five hours, he took the mandate out of the tiered mitigation. Nice. Mm. Um, all right, so we'll and jump on to. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. That's how it goes. Yeah. 
Um, we're running out. Of, we're running short on time, so we'll jump to these next two questions. Um, so, as school shootings have become more prevalent as of recently, what ideas or strategies do you have to become more prepared in respect to uh, you know just schools being prepared? Well, I think with Florida, it's interesting because of Parkland, schools have really begun to lock down, and we have a we have a one entrance. Uh, right. We have the main entrance, and it, it's, it's and in some schools it's it's two. So you come through a door, you're in a secure area, mm-hmm. and there's another door while they verify ID. And then all the, the there's all the fencing and everything. Right. Um, there has been some concern because sometimes doors here and there inside the school grounds have been unlocked, and so mm. working with that, I think for us it's safety within the schools because look what happened at the freshman learning center. Right. You know, and it was a little bit disturbing to me to see the police uh, body cam video. Uh, Eric Flowers did a, a press release statement, and he showed he showed some of the body cam video, and kids were running by police officers into the melee and getting involved yeah. because they want to shoot all this stuff for TikTok and tell all their friends. Right. Mm-hmm. So we've got a phone issue in that regard, and so. I've talked to some of the SROs about that and uh, looking for ways we can do that. The other thing is, is I think um, uh, we need to do disciplinary deans, old school. Let's go back to old school. Disciplinary deans where they're in the halls and they're with the students daily. Right. You know, that right now a student, they get in trouble. They go to the principal's office. The AP works with them and they send them back. Yeah. And it's a really passive way to do things. But if you have disciplinary deans out there patrolling, checking bathrooms, things like that, right? Um, mm. they get to know the student body, and they're on a more personal level with them. Mm. And so they could probably mitigate a lot of this stuff or get wind of it, you know, their right. eyes and ears are out in the student body daily. So I, yeah. think that's, I think that's where we have to go is how do we make our internal safe because it's a hard environment for teachers who love to teach. They're called vocationally to do it. And they don't have an environment that's, you know, it's kind of supporting disciplined them. enough for them. Yeah, disciplined enough for them to be effective. Right. Yeah, it's a, something you just said totally rang a bell with me because uh, in our, in our, when I went to charter high school and I had, we had like a security guard type guy kind of drove around on a uh, golf cart and, uh, I was like his biggest nemesis. Like I did all the things wrong. You know, I parked in, I parked in all the wrong parking spots, and that was one of the biggest. I don't, you know, hindsight. I'm looking at. It, I, don't, I have no idea why. I objectively always wanted to park in the wrong spots, but um, and uh, he, you know, he eventually, you know, he would constantly tell me, "Look, man, you gotta like follow the set of rules." And uh, eventually, one day, he booted my car. <laughs> and, you know, I couldn't, and I couldn't leave the school. You know, and. Um, and so, you know, he made me go get him and, you know, and I, you know, he unlocked it or whatever. Long story short, we became like friends. Yeah. And uh, the other day I was at, I was at, uh, uh, you know, a pizza place and he was, he was in the pizza place and he came up and hugged me, gave me a kiss on the cheek. He's like, <laughs> you know, he's like an old Italian guy, yeah. you know, uh, but we became friends. And, and I think that's kind of like what you're saying. You know, we kind of became to know each other personally, even though in some way I was being disciplined. Right. You know, yeah. and I think that's. That's really the way things should be. You should come to know people, even if you're, you know, implementing. Right. You know, you know th- that is, it, mentoring is not just teaching kids how to 
you know, this is your career path for college to take this course. Mentoring is that disciplinary, that relational connection that a kid, a student comes to trust from an adult and see, you know, if you just go to some official guy, AP, who's, who's working with the principal to oversee everything in student services, school lunches, budgets, uh, safety, all uh, curriculum, all these things that come through the school. You know, I've, I've talked to Jackie about this in New York. She said there was a, there was an assistant principal for every area of the school. You have one for student oh, wow. services and so on and so forth. Here we have one. And then he's, and then that person is now also doing all the discipline and they could spend all day doing it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, getting, and with like kids who do athletics, well, their coaches and their assistant coaches could be those uh, disciplinary, disciplinary, I would say disciplinary and mentorship deans. It's because well, it's twofold, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's important. Yeah. Um, and with, with that, um, we're, we'll move on to our last one here. Uh, given sure. yeah, given the last two years with people recognizing the importance of local government, uh, especially with respect to the impact it has on their day to day life, do you think maybe more of a decentralized kind of planning of education system would uh, result in a net positive outcome, or do you think that we should uh, kind of keep the current education system we have, where the school kind of has a monopoly on education? Or the state has a monopoly, rather. Well, how would you approach decentralization? I mean, it runs through the state, mm-hmm. ultimately. Curriculums are approved by the state. Think about this. You know, we had the Savas math curriculum. And during that debate, I, I mentioned about the CRT in it from Project Implicit. I spoke on that. That was in Savas. It was given to me by Chris Allen from We the People at Indian River. And... Uh, you know, I remember at the time going, the the board chair Terry, who's my opponent, mm-hmm. said, "Well, that's just two of their books because we don't we only pointed out two books." And you're and you're thinking like, "Hold on, there's like seven books in here. If two of them got it on the first three chapters, chances are all of them have it." And Chris Allen was the one that caused the Florida Department of Education to remove forty percent of the curriculum. It was her. Uh, research. It was her pointing this out. They said they only had evidence from one one person. She did like 27 interviews with newspapers around the state because everyone was mad that only one person changed the whole course of curriculum in the mm-hmm. whole state. Mm-hmm. And so that's a beautiful thing because I look at it as like it only takes one to change things for the better. Decentralized, um, the only way I see that happening is school choice. Right. Right. And you I, know, I, I think, and it's and that's that's, I think, something I'm for, mm-hmm. because I think a, I think a public school system should be competitive. Right. Uh, right. You know, I think that's something that we just go into one place. We, we talk about Especially a lot. the amount that we deal with. It's 50 percent of our millage rates for taxes. OK. Uh, yeah. One thing something we talk about a lot is just the. um you know, the potential, it, it's great, you know, we, in the federalist system we have where the state controls the education uh, system. So, you know, we're not being told by Washington, D.C. what our curriculum is, uh, and that's great. Um, but what, where we get a little bit worried is, you know, what if the guys that we don't like 
take control of the state. You know, we all, we saw how close Andrew Gillum came to becoming the um, the governor of Florida. And, um, you know, what happens when that pendulum swings the other way? And now now we're uh, put at the mercy of, of what they want to, you know, the changes they want to implement. So that's why we and I think like you say, well, no, look, where you, look where you are federally. It's exactly what happens. Right. right exactly. Because I think right now the polarization is so great that they're just going to they're not only going to let this pendulum swing. And when it gets all the way to to where it's going to turn and go back, they're just going to tie it down. and they're not going to let it they're not going to let time run off right right they're going to hold it in place and they're going to do whatever they want to do and that's what they're doing right now at the federal level yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yep um all right thomas well we appreciate having you um yeah i mean thank you for your time yeah Yeah, thank thank you you. thank you for taking this time with us uh do you have anything that you want to promote at the end of this yeah, I want you all to go to my uh, website, votethomaskenny.com. That's votethomaskenny.com. And uh, hit the big donate button and send five bucks. There you go. <laughs> or ten bucks or twenty bucks or a thousand. <laughs> um, no, this is really about this is about parental rights. This is about citizen representation. And I think that's what's going on here. Right. Um, a lot of, you know, we didn't even talk about how publishers are working over school systems the millions of dollars they make off Mm -hmm. of our tax. Right. I mean, that's one of the big issues with the library books. Mm -hmm. They're like, Hey, these are our great books. We recommend them. And so they just did, they came in unvetted and then we had all this stuff here. Right. And they may, you know, you think about it. If you sell four books in little Indian river, think about how many you're selling in Miami Dade school district. Think about how many selling in Jacksonville and then multiply that by about 2,300 counties where, uh, the Follett system that moves these books through is right. Yep. Yeah. A publisher sold 250,000. They've got a 250,000 book budget for every one they do. Yeah. That's crazy. And it's all on tax dollars. Yep. Not good. Not good. Well, not good. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. And so we got, this is what this election's about. It's putting a stop to this. Yeah. No, I think we agree. And then, again, like we said, we definitely appreciate you being on, Thomas. And if any time you want to come back on, talk a little bit longer, you have a one topic you want to just dig into deeply, just let us know. I think yeah, we all absolutely. would be open to that and be a very fun time. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Um, and uh, hopefully it will be the victory topic. There we yeah, go. Yeah, there you go. We'll hopefully. have that victory drink with you. <laughs> yeah. Guys, yeah. thank you so much, and you all have a great uh, evening. And uh, – I look forward. Where can I find your podcast? Uh, it's on Spotify. It's on iTunes, and it's also on YouTube. We're still doing YouTube, right? We do clips on YouTube now. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, we're so you can see the full episodes on Spotify and on um, iTunes, iTunes, and, and pretty much any other just under major politics place on the rocks. Yeah. yeah, politics on the rocks. All right. Well, God bless you all. Thank all right, you. Sir. God bless Thank you. Thank you, Thomas. Bye. All right, everyone. So we have. Jackie Rosario, she is running for District 2 seat on the Indy River County School Board. How are you, Jackie? I'm very good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, If you want to just give us maybe a little minute or so, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, um, my name is Jackie Rosario, as you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. I am a woman of faith, a mom, a teacher, a school administrator, um, and your current school board member for District 2 here in Indian River County. I began my teaching career in 1992 as a teacher of English as a second language. 
And then several years later, I became an assistant principal at an alternative high school in Brooklyn. Um, then about 14 years ago, almost 14 years ago, uh, I relocated here at Severo Beach, uh, of which I had, you know, have continued on the same career path. Um, and um, then probably about eight years ago, um, through different things that happened um, in my life and my family life, we prayerfully uh, considered homeschooling uh, our son, my son, who is now 14 years old at the time he was in first grade. Um, and that's exactly what we did. We began homeschooling him, and I've been homeschooling him ever since. It's been a great opportunity for us. Um, it really was the right move for our family and mm -hmm. for our son. Um, but I, I understand that not everyone has that opportunity. Homeschooling right. is a walk of faith. And if you're not quite sure exactly um, how to do that while you are um, working full time or you have other obligations, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty difficult. Even if there are parents who wish they could do it, it's very difficult which is why I am such an advocate on the school board for school choice. I think it's very important that we make sure to give options because not every child um, learns the same way. Not every child is college bound. Everyone has different gifts and different abilities. Um, and I think it's important that the school district uh, represent the different lives that we are servicing, the different children that we're servicing. So, um, for that, um, I would be the only school board member who really champions school choice and parental rights. Um, I live it. Uh, I am uh, in it day in and day out. Um, and uh, for that matter, you know, I, I am a, a staunch advocate for um, the things that uh, parents and guardians uh, desire really, which is, you know, including their medical freedom. It's the, the ability to choose the best educational environment for their child. Um, with that said, I, I guess I will um, just say that I have a bachelor's degree in social science, English as a second language, a master's in special education with a concentration in deaf ed, a master's in school supervision administration, and a master's in divinity. Wow. <laughs> uh, I'm impressed. Yeah, same. Some uh, would say you're more qualified than a Mr. Barefoot. Yeah. <laughs> that, guy, that guy likes to pat so. himself on the back. Uh, we, we all read that article right before uh, we shot this podcast, and uh, we all got a kick out of it, yeah. just to say the least. Um, so, yeah, you kind of... Yeah, so sorry about that, guys. <laughs> no, we, we, we actually appreciate it. We're... Uh, <laughs> We're pot stirrers, if you will, as well. So we definitely appreciate okay. it. Um, so, yeah, you kind of uh, nailed one of our first questions about uh, school choice, which we, as kind of a, a libertarian, liberty-minded kind of uh, podcast, we're super big fans of that. Um, how exactly do you see that uh, properly being implemented? Is it some sort of voucher system, or do you have other ideas in regards to that? No, well, we have, um, there are lots of different ways to provide school choice. I'll tell you, when I started on the school board in 2018, um, we had a school choice available somewhat. Um, it's it's uh, a, a legal obligation for the school district to provide it, uh, but it really wasn't a real choice because parents had to drive their child to the school of their choice. So if a, if a parent, for example, 
wanted to send their child to a school outside of their zoned area, um, they had to be responsible for the transportation. But if you're a working parent and you have other children, you might not be able to do that, which means you're still locked into your local school district or your local school, your zoned school. Mm -hmm. Um, And I worked really hard when I became a board member um, to ensure that we provide transportation. And thankfully now uh, we do. Not only that, but every single school in our district has created a theme um, so that they kind of compete with one another, uh, not in terrible ways, but right. you know, competition is always good. Right. Um, but every school now has their own um, theme or their own attractor program, so to say. So one school might uh, uh, focus in on um, uh, the performing arts. Another one might be environmental studies. Another one might be STEM related, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math. And the idea is for the parent to kind of look at all the schools that we have in the district and say, I really want my child to be in the performing arts school. Um, And the parent can apply through the district to put their child in this school, doesn't matter where it is in the district, in the county, um, and have transportation provided for them. So now it really is school choice. So that's one of the visions that I had. Um, but we also have um, an opportunity to get kids enrolled in uh, dual enrollment programs and in the high school um, programs that are uh, vocational and um, training related. So vocational and um, what's that word I'm thinking of? Like trades? Trade, yeah, it's in the trades. It was another another word that, of course, escapes me right now. <laughs> but yeah, uh, and they get certification in an area that they are specifically studying, um, so that when they graduate, they graduate with a high school diploma and with um, some kind of certification in auto mechanics or aviation or welding or any such program that we might have, you know, offered. Um, Again, not everyone is college bound, Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. why not offer options for kids? Uh, We have these options available. We just got to get the kids in the program. Yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead, Bookie. Yeah, sorry. So I actually have a – hopefully a quick question about this, only because it's been a while since I've been to high school. But (laughs) when I did, it it was that charter. So dual enrollment was very easy because it was a quick walk across the – a forest or literally a little woods <laughs> to get to our classes. But now is this vocational and like trades part new? Is that where you, you were stating correct? No, uh, it's not new. Okay. Um, so we, we have different programs that, that are offered at the high schools at each of our high schools. Um, the charter school functions yes, different than yeah. the other high schools that we have. Uh, because the charter, you're right, is right on the same campus as Indian River State College. And so it's easier for you all to to walk there and do uh, dual enrollment there. That's correct. But we we have several options. So each high school here offers their own uh, course related, you know, um, um, uh, vocational uh, training. So it might be marketing. It might be auto mechanics in uh, Sebastian River, for example, Sebastian River High School. Um, There's another program uh, for aviation, which is a dual enrollment uh, program with a college with, uh, what is the name of that college? I don't know why I'm skipping. My mind is skipping. 
It's fine. This um, is the podcast of Escape and Work. Um, so the, <laughs> the kids actually do dual enrollment there. Okay. Um, so then they can graduate with a dual enrollment, with a high school diploma and a college certification um, in avionics or um, drone, something drone related. Oh, that's awesome. Interesting. Obviously, obviously you can tell I'm not in the high school. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not where no, I this, am. This is great, um, though. We're happy the, to have you advocating yeah, for and this at sort of Vero, stuff. At Vero Beach High School, there are similar programs. Culinary Arts is one of them. Um, I believe that we are um, offering um, hospitality there. We also have locally Treasure Coast Technical College. I don't know if anybody really knows that. That's the first time I'm but hearing Treasure, it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Treasure Coast Technical College is an actual college for adults located in Gifford, and it is part of the school district of Indian River County. Um, and they offer for high school students dual enrollment program in um, CNA, which is Certified Nursing Assistant. Um, we are expanding uh, uh, the program to surgical technology. Uh, we are also going to offer soon um, early childhood certification. Uh, welding program is there as well. There used to be HVAC, which is the air conditioning and right. heating. Um, not sure if it's still there, but uh, these are the kinds of programs that are currently available. Uh, I'm just in my opinion, they're just not full enough, and I think we have plenty of students that we can do better at recruiting students to get them into some of these programs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree because um, I, I actually have heard of the, um, the the school you're talking about in Gifford. I had a, mm-hmm. a previous girlfriend. She got her medical assistant license or certificate there. Um, but, yeah, it's, I definitely don't think it's something that's promoted enough in the county. And uh, hopefully, Correct. yeah, hopefully that's something that uh, you can uh, spearhead. Um, so, yeah, moving on to the next one. Uh, with school boards being criticized for becoming hyper politicized, do you feel that these cultural hot topics, specifically speaking, the uh, LGBTQ education and critical race theory, things like this, do you think that they have any effect on children's education? Um, you know, like in other words, uh, in that article we read in the Vero News that we kind of already talked about, um, Barefoot likes to make it seem like you guys politicize this thing. Um, so yeah, yeah. I long-winded question, but do you, yeah, do you see any of this having effect on you know the ch- the child's education? Well, I'll tell you. Um, within the last year, I mean, I could probably talk about this for four hours. <laughs> within the last year, uh, I have, and and I've been on the board for three and a half years, right? So. Only within the last year have I really seen every single thing that is a hot, hot topic show up within the last year. Right. It mm-hmm. started somewhere around February or March um, when I noticed that there was a professional development that the district was creating called Courageous Conversations. Um, the professional development was just unrolling um, to the administrators. The intent was eventually to... Um, unveil it to teachers. It didn't quite get that far. When it, when I was aware, when I became aware of it, uh, there was something about it. There were these keywords that were popping up that were really my antennas were going up. So I inquired to see the entire first module, which was at the time the only module created. And um, I was really, really disappointed because the professional development Um, based on this book, again, Courageous Conversations, was pitting one race against the other. 
Mm. It was all about black versus white or white against black. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the entire thing. And halfway through, midway through, there were questions, uh, a question in particular that said, if you, and I'm totally paraphrasing, if you want to um, uh, have better relations with coworkers and other people in your life, you need to define your whiteness. <laughs> oh. And so, <laughs> exactly. And so I was incredibly offended. (laughs) And, and then I wondered, what does that mean? You know, so I sat in front of the superintendent and uh, I asked him, can you define your whiteness? (laughs) Put him on the spot. (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, I have to have my own courageous conversation with him, right? (laughs) And these are the moments we watch the school board meetings for. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do you do you watch them? We watched the ones during the uh, during the mask mandate <laughs> debates. We watched a couple of those. Yeah, big fans. Wait, of I yours. would be like at work <laughs> at work just listening to it in the background, <laughs> yeah. just thinking how glad I was not to be there. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 yeah, it's pretty challenging. Yeah, but uh, you... um, so long story short, he couldn't define define his whiteness. Mm. Um, everyone that that I have. I asked at the time, couldn't define it. Um, I then wanted to know in that conversation, where do I fit in this? Because I am of Puerto Rican descent, American um, of Puerto Rican descent. And I, and even though my skin is white, my skin color is white, I still didn't know where I fit in this. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know if I was supposed to be racist or not. <laughs> and I, I just couldn't find that out. I also wanted to know how is this professional development supposed to better a teacher's craft? Because that's the intent of professional development is to develop you professionally. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't see where this was going to have an impact on teachers or on student achievement. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it took a long time to really uh, quite a while to um, show the superintendent how divisive this was. But at the end, he recognized and pulled it. Nice. So when you ask, are these things in the schools or do I see it in the schools or do they affect children? We I have been at the forefront of stopping these things before they actually do affect the kids. I feel like critical race theory was one. The mask mandate was another. Sexually explicit books were just in the middle of that. So. Mm. Um, that's a whole other topic in mm. and of itself. No, what I was thinking is uh, one of the arguments against uh, you know you kind of going against these things is that they're not really happening in our kind of small town. Like you're being overzealous, but hearing like your side of the story, it seems like they kind of are trying to happen, but you're you know you're actively trying to stop them. But uh, it, it's yes. interesting. It's an interesting argument because it's like well. If you did your job well, then they aren't happening. <laughs> but uh, but they're, they're kind of looking at it like, well, we're, we're uh, mostly conservative little town. This is the kind of stuff that's happening in you know far left California towns, you know. And I'm glad you brought that up, Cameron, because I think even initially when we did our original school board uh, episode, I think we were kind of all under the impression that a lot of this was kind of political posturing because you know we like like Bookie said earlier, it's been a while since we've been in school. Um, so we kind of looked at it as like, hey, uh, you know, is this really happening or is this like, you know, a way for some of these people to kind of just drum up their base? But, I mean, as you just pointed out, it's 
actively trying to happen and you know you guys are doing a good job of keeping it out of the schools yeah I, i'm trying i oftentimes i feel like i'm the lone ranger i'm the only one in the fight um and then board members seem to want to fight against me when mm-hmm. ultimately it's like look i know that this stuff is wrong it's just wrong it's very divisive it doesn't have a place in our schools and not to mention they're not standards based we have standards that the Department of Education has approved. And so all of our curriculum and all of our supplemental material needs to be aligned with our standards. If our standards do not include critical race theory or any theory, therefore, that, that is not scientifically based or supported by the standards, then don't have them. Mm-hmm. We don't need mm-hmm. them. We right. don't need them in our schools. Yep, And they um, it, they did mention, you know, in the in that article we read about how uh, you know you and your following are are supposedly a fringe minority but it's it's yeah. just funny how when these issues come up you know all of a sudden a ton of parents show up and they're very <laughs> upset about it yeah uh you know yeah. how often how often do parents show up about other issues you know i'm sure it's it's not like a packed room like it was for these uh for these hot debates you guys had typically <laughs> Yeah, you know, this fringe group seems to have the fear <laughs> of our governor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this fringe group is the group that brought the attention of all of the library books that are currently sitting on our shelves that are pornographic and sexually and have sexual content. Mm-hmm. Uh, this supposed fringe group is was really at the front lines of ensuring that curriculum during the adoption process did not contain uh, divisive material. Um, they really have been holding our feet to the fire with the had been holding our feet to the fire with the mask mandates. Um, and every single one of those issues have had to be have had to um, be addressed by the school district, by the board members, and ultimately followed up with an executive order or some type of DOE rule that said, do not do this. Right. Um, the very thing that they were fighting against, these rules said, do not do. And so I don't think that's a fringe group as far as I'm concerned. Um, I think that these are the, this group is uh, a group of parents, moms and dads and grandparents alike, and community members who are saying no more. When COVID hit and all the children were in front of a computer screen, the veils were removed from uh, what the students or were kind of brought apart so that the parents can see what the students were learning. And Mm -hmm. I think that's really the first eye-opening experience into the classroom and into the students, you know, world um, that parents said, this is wrong. This is wrong. We can't have this. Yeah, that was that was pretty disturbing when we saw like uh, representatives from like the National Teachers Union and things like that complaining about this, about the fact that parents were looking at what their children were learning. <laughs> it was a bit uh, eye opening. Yeah, it, it it's pretty concerning that you would be worried. I mean, we're supposed to be everything is supposed to be in the open, transparent. We're not hiding anything. So I don't understand what the issue is. Yep. So I really don't. And this kind of is just a question for me. I don't have any kids. Um, but, and I, I get that obviously maybe a good thing from COVID was like you just stated, parents were able to see what their kids were looking at 
you know, firsthand because of them being home and on their screens. But is this something that we should, and I said we, I just like a general we, kind of push more for parents if they have the time or if they're able to, to kind of be more involved with what the kids are currently doing with school? Or are there, are there other pathways besides asking the kid, which is going to say it's fine or just normal for parents to see what's going on with their uh, kids learning besides, you know, watching a three-hour School board meeting. Uh, school board meeting. Yeah. <laughs> board meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we now have. I, I mean, every parent is different, right? Of course. There are yeah. some parents who say, "I'm bringing my child to school and let the school decide what to do with my child from nine to three. Yeah, and those parents. Um, and then you have other parents be... who say, "No, I want to know every single little thing." So mm-hmm. on this whole spectrum of what a parent wants, it's really incumbent upon the school district, the school and the school district to ensure that we have policies in place for each parent because our number one client are children mm-hmm. and we service their parents, right? Their parents and their guardians, their families. And so as I mentioned before, um, the, the our, even our legislatures have heard from their, their constituents um, and have created have passed laws, the Parents' Bill of Rights, which was last year, and the Parents' Bill of Rights in Education this year, both of which the governor signed, um, that all, that both of them give the parents the fundamental right to make the decision on their children's upbringing, uh, educational setting, uh, medical rights, medical freedoms, and everything in between. And that would also include curriculum. So there is a, 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 a law that has to be, we're actually in the process of creating policy now um, to ensure that parents will be able to view uh, the curriculum that's being taught, mm. know what, if they want, uh, know what is being provided for their children in terms of, you know, the, the content, you know, looking at the textbooks, uh, being able to look at chapter one and saying, and also have the opportunity to object to chapter one, uh, that's as an example. And if you don't have any objections, then great. But we have to now create a policy that says, this is the objection process. And if you have a complaint, this is how it should be handled. Um, the biggest thing for me is looking at what the legislatures did not include in the bill. And those are the things that we have to pay attention to at the local level. So if the legislatures say, create a policy that gives parents the opportunity to object to something being taught in the classroom, my concern therefore then is, well, then what? So a parent complains and says, I don't want my child to, to read, I'll tell you an example that we, we faced. Uh, at the beginning of last school year, there was a parent of a, I'm going to say second or third grader, who did not appreciate one chapter that was being taught on the Asian culture and mummies. I think it was, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, the ritual of mummies and or Buddhism. That's what it was. Okay. It was on Buddhism, and uh, there was something about, you know, teach your child or, you know, reiterate what we're learning in this chapter. It was 
kind of like very generic, what would usually go home with a chapter setting? But the parent was devoutly Catholic and the parent complained about it and didn't get anywhere with the principal. Uh, the parent wound up emailing me, which I then took it to our assistant superintendent of curriculum and instruction and said, hey, we, you know, this has to be addressed. There was a back and forth for a little while about, well, you know, we're just going to explain to the parent that this is what it is. And, <laughs> and I'm saying, no, that's not right. And this is the, this is the, this is what I'm talking about with the legislatures that they didn't include this in. And it's, it's important that at the local level, we see this. It's not our job to convince you to convince you otherwise of what your objection is. It's our job to say, thank you for your objection. Here's an alternative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we weren't doing. And that's what the legislatures didn't include, but the local level needs to make sure that in our policy, we add that in. If a parent has an objection, we have to provide an alternative with no consequences to the child. Right. You can still give the same skill, teach the same skill, with a different reading assignment or whatever it might be. Right. Um, right. And that's the part that we've got to capture and make sure we get right. Right. It's kind of a part of like the de the delegation of powers where, you know, the state's going to tell you to do do one thing, but they're not going to walk you through it. You you guys need to figure that out here. Um, and exactly. So, yeah. So it's, you know, it's great to have people who are who are willing to do those things, to do the legwork to, to figure those things out and not just kind of take things at face value. Mm -hmm. um, well, one, one this, is, this is why it's so important to know who you are voting for, mm -hmm. because if you're just going to have a rubber stamper, then you're going to have board members who are not going to pay attention to the fine details. Mm -hmm. But if you have someone who's willing to do the work and willing to pay attention to all these little details, then real change can happen. Mm -hmm. um, so one immediate uh, when you explained, you know, that that particular case where you guys dealt with the, uh, you know, the, the Catholic and the Buddhism, um, I my immediate thought was a an argument that I could see the left coming up with and that, you know, oh, you know, it's the state protecting Christians. And if it was the other way around, if it was a Muslim saying the same thing that, you know, it would be completely ignored. Do you have maybe a response and, you know, maybe an assurance that this would be implemented fairly? Yeah, well, I mean, it's supposed to be implemented for all parents equally, the same way. Right. Um, and, and, and that's exactly what came up in this conversation with the area superintendent, who, by the way, is no longer with us. But mm -hmm. at the time, I said the same thing because we kept going back and forth on this issue. And I said exactly that. What if this person was a Muslim? What if this person was anything other than Catholic? Mm -hmm. Would we still offer, would we still try to convince them, you know, that, that this is what it is? Mm -hmm, no. Right. And he actually, you know, there was like a, one of those, you know, eye opening kind right. of, you know, shrugging of the shoulders movement where you go, yeah, you know, that's true. Yeah. You could see well, the yeah, gears that's turning. True. Yeah. Yeah. I am a little biased. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we'll move on to the next ones cause, uh, we, we don't want to keep you all night. Um, we have two more for you. So as school shootings have become more prevalent in society, uh, as of recently, 
what ideas or strategies do you have to become more prepared with respect to, uh, you know, just the school's response? Uh, maybe even, you know, I know this is a school board issue, but uh, maybe even what you would like to see at the, um, you know, the uh, police kind of point of view. How how do you see that? What ideas do you have, I guess, is what I'm babbling. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have, you know, the unfortunate thing that came out of um, the Parkland shooting um, down south. Uh, some years ago um, was a law that states every school in Florida should have one of two things. One, you should either have school resource deputies in every school or two, you should have the guardian program implemented. The guardian program is the one where um, school district or school building employees could be teachers, could be any administrators, um, a select group would be specially trained to have to carry to be able to have a license to carry a weapon in the school building from you know nine to three whatever the beginning of the day is and up until the end of the school day the 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 caveat to the guardian program is that it's really not up to the school district to make that decision. It's really up to the sheriff's office. And mm. if you read the law, mm. the law states that it is the sheriff's office that has to provide the training for the guardian program because mm. these people would be called, and I forget, I don't know, then it's like a pseudo police officer. Right. You know, it's like your temporary yeah. police. Like an honorary deputy time or something. to that time. And then after the school day ends, you know, that, that weapon has to be locked up. I don't know where, but locked up and until the next day, then you, once you get on campus, then you are this pseudo police officer from this time to that time. Mm. Um, and our sheriff is, our previous sheriff was not willing to move forward with that program and neither mm. is our current sheriff. So we are only left with the only option, which is to have school resource deputies in every school. Um, and we do have that. We have very highly trained and uh, um, really dedicated uh, police officers on every single campus. Our high schools have more than one because obviously they're, you know, they're, they're really, really large. Right. And, we, they practice, you know, um, uh, the drill, their drills, their code red, their um, code yellow drills regularly. Um, we have had unfortunate instances um, and within seconds, you know, police are there. Um, not like what happened in Uvalde, oh, Texas, God. unfortunately, yeah. that it took quite a while before police officers came to the scene and I have every confidence that that wouldn't happen here. Right. Mm. We also have worked really hard to ensure that we have single access um, entries at every single one of our campuses. So you can only get in one way. You In, in many of the um, single entries, there are double <laughs> entries. So you have to buzz from the outside, buzz from the inside, and then you have to walk through to get to the main office or the, the secretary. Right. Um, so, And it's one person at a time. It's not like multiple people can go in at one time. Um, our campuses have gates. 
you know, and, and it's unfortunate to say that nothing is foolproof, 100% foolproof. Yeah. But I do yeah. have every confidence that what we have in place is, um, is it, it, it's going to keep our kids safe. Okay. So, so you're, you're relatively happy with where we're at now as a county? I'm, I'm definitely comfortable with where we are Good. as a county. I, we have great working relationships with all of the, our local law enforcement agencies. Um, they even communicate with each other, even mm-hmm. if, you know, Fellsmere to, from Fellsmere to Sebastian to Vero Beach PD and, and the Sheriff's Office. Everyone with regard to our schools are all on the same page. We have regular safety meetings that I can't divulge um, some of the things that we talk about in um, in, in in private, obviously, for right. safety reasons. But, yep. yeah, I have every confidence that um, we are on the right track. Out of curiosity, would you be – would you be open to the that guardian program that you talked about being expanded uh, to give the, the maybe the school boards or some responsible authority more leeway uh, where they don't have to go through the sheriff's office and they kind of decide who's responsible uh, for this? Type yeah, of thing? I'll I'll tell you what I am in favor of. Um, I am in favor of talking about having additional security. Mm-hmm. So we have some retired police officers and we have some um, retired military that would that yeah. have come up to me um, since Uvalde, even before then. And I've said, how come, you know, we don't have security, at, not police officers and not guardians, but independent security mm-hmm. on our campuses that have, you know, a license to carry um, and who are willing to go. I, I might even be interested in having that conversation. Right. I am a Second Amendment, you know, pro-Second Amendment um, person. Uh, I just, I, I don't know all the ins and outs and the details of what it would look like to be in a full guardian program. Right. Some districts are doing that, and I haven't done the full research on that because it's not an option for us right now. So mm-hmm. right. Um, I think I would rather reserve an opinion on it yeah. until I get all of the details first. Fair enough. No, <laughs> yeah. That's okay. a good, good answer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's it's very unheard of for someone to not give an opinion on something that they're not really sure about. Yeah. In today's – everyone has an opinion on everything despite you know, yeah, maybe not comforting. being yeah, educated <laughs> on it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, here's our, our our last one to close things up because we're a liberty libertarian, liberty minded kind of podcast. We have to throw a little you know a little anti government or decentralization <laughs> question in to you know give you a little curveball. But uh, <laughs> given the last two years with people recognizing the importance of local government with respect to the impact it has on their day to day life, do you think decentralization of the education system would result in a net positive? Hmm. Tough one. <laughs> um, and, well, and if 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 the question's not clear, I guess I could expand on it a little bit. But uh, it, it it's it's clear, you know, <laughs> no government, limited government, right? That's yeah. where yep. you're headed. Yeah, something like that. Well, it's, yeah. it's it's more something of something like that. You okay. know, we have like more in the sense of like the decentralization part, where if there was more freedom. For schools to, yeah, be more free with what they do and have more schools within our yeah. county, 
without fix some of the issues that we currently have. The, the other uh, yeah. aspect to this, I think, is that um, a lot a lot of these controversial, super controversial topics that are coming up and are being decided on kind of at state levels and even at county levels, yeah. obviously not everyone's going to agree on these things. And so this is kind of where school choice comes in and where yeah. you know, a lot of this tension can kind of just be uh, fizzled out because people have the opportunity to go somewhere where they feel comfortable that, you know, their children are going to learn uh, yeah. their, their specific values or, you know. Yeah. So I, um, as I mentioned before, I'm a homeschooler. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I homeschool my son, even though I've been in public education, my adult, my entire adult life. Um, I have the unique perspective of having one foot in one door and one foot in the other door. Right. So I can advocate for both. Mm-hmm. This is where school choice comes into place. I can advocate for public school and for um, homeschool or any other school of your choice. That said, I will tell you that it has been an incredible burden for my family because we pay we pay local taxes. We mm-hmm. pay property. I pay property taxes on my home, right? Mm-hmm. I pay um, um, taxes for uh, our local school, even though my child doesn't attend the public school. Yeah. Um, I also don't get a voucher program. Right. So I would be incredibly in favor of... Um, the money following the child. Right. Mm-hmm. Arizona just did that. Arizona just passed a law. The, the governor of Arizona just passed a law that said, you know, that that states how whatever wherever the child is, the money will follow the child. So that could be in micro schools. That is apart from the public school system. Um, the micro schools are small little. Um, uh, school pods, I suppose you can mm-hmm. call them very small schools that are popping up and uh, even in the homeschool community, similar to homeschooling co-ops. Um, but they are um, independent. Some of them can be independent, privately owned. Um, and even some public schools are starting to open up some micro pods. Okay. But, but with that, with that said, I think that, with limited government uh, or um, having some of these options where the the money will follow the child, it creates an environment of competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and competition is good. It might actually um, boost the the schools, the public school system, to say, "Hey, we need to do better because all these other uh, private schools, uh, magnet schools." charter schools, they're all outperforming the traditional public school. Even homeschoolers are outperforming traditional public school. So why is that? Yeah. Why is that? They are doing something differently that the public schools are not doing. In my opinion, public schools are way too big, way too grandiose to kind of put everyone in the same box. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's what I think is going on because we're not differentiating instruction enough. So I would be a proponent of any change just so that the students can succeed, have an opportunity to succeed. And I mean, all students. Right. Yeah. I, I think what, what you just said about, you know, putting the 
uh, all the students in the same box is is such a great point because it's you know I come I came from where I went to public school in New York State and uh, there you know we don't have a choice it's public school or or you have to pay you know twice as much to go to private school or you know whatever you want to do like you do uh, so mm-hmm. then. Uh, uh, it's it's not a very effective system. It doesn't bring the best out of the students. It just kind of makes them all like, you know, renaissance men that are knowledgeable in everything but not really good at anything. And uh, <laughs> so it's I think it's important what you were talking about earlier, allowing these kids to early on take the track that they think they are interested in and just become mm-hmm. good at something yeah. um, because too many – Kids are coming out of college or coming out of high school, rather, uh, with no idea what they want to do. And they're not really good at anything because they just haven't had the opportunity to to just explore what they're good at. Um, so, yeah, right. I think those programs are really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I that- think so. I mean, I, I remember in junior high school. I mean, I'm aging myself, but mm-hmm. I remember in junior high school, I had a shop class. Mm. Nice. I don't know how old you you gentlemen are, but um, I I am over fifty, so I remember having a shop class, and in the shop class, everyone, boys and girls, we all learned how to um, cut wood, you know, hammer, right, use a nail, a, a nail gun, like all of these that build things. We built, we used our hands, not computers, but we used yeah. our hands to build things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a typing class. Yeah, I had one of those in high school or middle school. Yeah, yeah that's such a good point, though, because um, I think, you know, the that's, as, as you've already stated, that's such a failure on the public education level where they're not exploring these kids, um, like, strengths. And, you know, if, if a student has a weakness, it's like, well, you just need to get better at it. And it's not like, well, what are your strengths? Maybe... You know, okay, maybe you're not great at math, but you're great at this or you're, you know, whatever it ends up being. And just to kind of add to Chris's point, these kids come out of school with, you know, a very elementary level understanding of a lot of things and have no real, Mm -hmm. like, they're not extremely good at one thing. So, like, you know, me and Chris were engineers, so, like, you know, reading and writing is not really (laughs) one of the biggest, like strengths of ours or something we use on a day-to-day so you know and it took me a while to get there chris was you know chris is smarter than i he got there quicker but you know had i known i was like good at that kind of stuff from an early age maybe i would have finished way earlier and you know mm-hmm. um so yeah yeah, yeah every, everyone is everyone's gift is different you know yeah. we we have to get out of the um the mindset that during Curriculum. I mean, I, I know I'm probably going over my time here. I told you, gentlemen, I could talk for hours on this. <laughs> That's fine. Right. You're good. Um, so just stop me whenever. But No, it, it was all about thing. you. So <laughs> we didn't want to overburden you. So you're <laughs> fine. Oh, I'm, I'm totally good. Um, my son, I'll, I'll tell you, it, it, several years. It took several years to kind of get the right math curriculum for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started out with a curriculum when he was in elementary school that I thought was good. And he was always, I mean, that was the one subject that he really struggles in. Um, and lo and behold, you know, our, our stru- his struggle turned into my struggle because then I didn't want to go through, 
the emotional turmoil of saying it's math time. And then all of a sudden there's like emotional breakdown. I don't want to do math, you know, mm-hmm. and come to turn, come to find out that it was the way the page was designed that was making him confused. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at a math page, there's like it's all overwhelming. these questions <laughs> are just like, 20 questions on one page and all of them could be very different and there isn't enough space to work out the example. So you have to keep going back and forth. And then there's 500, I'm totally exaggerating, 500 (laughs) other questions about previous work from previous pages. Right. So you have to remember the current lesson and then five lessons prior. Yeah, they so do like finally, all the example problems ahead, at the yeah no they I, I'm just explaining they do like all the example problems at the end of like one chapter and the one chapter covers like seven or eight different concepts so yeah I I can definitely understand where his uh, anxiety yeah, maybe it, came from that like uh, like Nick said we're engineers and my worst subject was math in yeah public school. in high school <laughs> I had like C's and D's in math yeah yeah so. it's crazy. But let me tell you, when I finally found the right curriculum for him, the book that I found, it's called Matthew C. I even suggested this for the district, and um, they're not they're not heeding my advice. But um, <laughs> no it's Matthew C. And Matthew C. is it's structured a little differently. It's not like the traditional math textbooks that you or workbooks that we're used to. In Matthew C., they have a lesson for a particular skill, right? Let's say exponents. Mm -hmm. Then you have, instead of having one page of practice examples for that new lesson and 20 pages of review, they have 20 pages of practice for that lesson and four pages of review. Right. So by the end of that, entire chapter you've mastered the skill right Practice that's perfect, what we have say. to do in school <laughs> not every child can learn math the same way we need to be able to adopt two or three curriculum you know textbooks so that if a child like my son is sitting in and i guarantee you there are children in math that are so confused just because of the formatting of the page that's in front of them. Yeah, I, I would say I was one of those children, actually. <laughs> Me too, bro. Um, I went to a public school in Sebastian and during elementary school, and then thankfully my parents sent me to a private school, uh, Suncoast, here in Vero Beach for middle school. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that was a 360 for yeah. my learning. Me I too. went from probably a C student in elementary school, really not knowing what the hell was going on, to yeah. middle school math was like wow i am this is easy this is mm. you know i'm ahead of what yeah would be in high school when it once i get to a freshman so i definitely you know can relate to what you're saying about you know it takes a time and kind of what you stated is maybe a little bit more on the parent um or just kind of the parent trying to find a, the correct school which can go back to what we were saying about school choice but kind of a parent kind of putting just a little bit more time into kind of figuring out what their child needs or kind of, you know, or the teacher to figure out what's perfect for good for them so they can ex- excel. Um, so they're not, you know, in the corner of 
their class just thinking they're a dumb idiot. Yeah, yeah and, and if I can hold on, if I can piggyback off of what you just said, she, you know, Jackie also mentioned the size of the school, and I also yeah. went, I also went to Suncoast because, like your son, um, a math problem mm-hmm. like that would have exploded my brain. Um, mm-hmm. And and the size of the the size of the school made a huge difference because now mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you have access to your teacher, she has time to work with you, and you're not in this class with 50 other kids who are you know trying to just can't wait to do the next tiktok you know it's it's like it's 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 a much more focused thing anytime you expand something so big you have to know that there's always going to be less attention on details it just it's just what happens Mm. the bigger the the bigger the you know the bigger the classroom less attention on individual uh situations and not to mention the pressure that probably puts on you know for example the student that's not that great at math and He's in a class of 30 kids, and maybe he feels like, shit, I'm the only one who doesn't get this. I can't ask a question. Everyone will think I'm stupid. Exactly. Yeah. So, right. you know, mm-hmm. it just kind of goes back to that. And I think we can even kind of jump back and relate this into the whole, uh, you know, kind of decentralization conversation that us four on the podcast have a lot where if you have all these different schools running these different curriculums, then, you know, you can find the school that fits your child the best and just to kind of reiterate what you were saying how that creates competition because now you know as it stands public education they don't really have anybody competing with them so there's no incentive to do better because there's nobody to do better than so yeah or if they they do have somebody competing with them it's a private school which now you have to pay out a dollar to go to right on top of the taxes you're getting paid which is something she already mentioned yeah but if the money followed the child, then you wouldn't have right. to worry about that. Yeah, right, exactly. exactly. Uh, you're singing our song. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. With that, um, do you have anything that you want to promote, maybe where we can find you and see some more of uh, the stuff that you're doing for our listeners if they want to check you out? Yeah. I mean, if if your listeners are um, uh, voting and they have received their early ballots, their early voting ballots, um, which went out – this week, last mm-hmm. week, rather, um, I just want them to know that I am indeed the most experienced and the most qualified of all candidates um, for my seat, which is the District 2 seat as the incumbent cam- candidate. Um, I have a proven record of being the consistent voice of reason and common sense, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a person who listens to her constituents, um, holds the superintendent and the board attorney accountable even the board members, um, and including myself. Um, I ask the tough questions. I research the truth uh, and uh, provide really lawful direction when needed. Um, And I just, I don't compromise on my values. Other board members may compromise uh, just to get a yes vote on some items that they might bring that might be before them. Um, But I I won't compromise on my values. That's one thing that I have learned in this position. I may compromise on some issues, um, on some things that 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 are not um, that might not be values based and not everything is about values. But when it comes to my values and the things that um, are are, that I am rooted in, um, where my belief system really hold strong. I I just, I won't budge. Mm. Um, I have, you know, opponents wanting to replace me on the board because of that, uh, because of my conservative values. And, um, 
And it's important that people get out and vote, 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 vote. Make sure that your voice is heard. Um, and just always remember to reach and teach every kid every day in every way. If anyone has wants to find out more information, please visit my website at reelectjackie.com. That's reelectjackie.com. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much um, for your time, first off. And, you know, this was a lot of fun. If you ever want to hop on the podcast and talk about specific topics or whatever, you know, just uh, just reach out to us and we'll we'll definitely set it up. This has been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for having me. I'm thank excited. You. Thank you, Jackie. Right. We appreciate it. Have a good night. Thank you. You too. Have a good night. Thank Bye. you. So that was fun. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, Are we huge, live? Yeah, we're live. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, huge shout out to Jackie and Thomas for joining us. Uh, that was a really fun conversation. Gave us a little insight uh, yeah. to both of them, which I think we were all looking for, given that we were big fans of both of them, or specifically Jackie, but Thomas. I mean, it was awesome having him on, hearing his perspective. Uh, any... Any input, guys? You no, I just listen to me babble. No, 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 no. I think, <laughs> I think for me, um, you know, reading that article and watching some of the videos, you have this. Uh, not, I mean, you have a perception that she's this maybe extremist, uh, like far right wing kind of not that you know, you know, not that intelligent. And then you get her on the podcast, and she's uber intelligent yeah like, she's, she's i was waiting for her to finish her achievements i'm like all right but, <laughs> yeah she's super qualified yeah but she's, not only yeah sorry go ahead uh yeah so she's super <laughs> i'm sorry she's super qualified uh she's super intelligent at, you know answers the questions like you know i i mean i i mean i i don't know i mean i just think she's like i think you know i'm gonna ask her to marry me <laughs> I'm, no, I'm uh, normally pretty good at like smelling out political like speak you know what i mean when people start like kind of bullshitting you mm-hmm. and i did not get the sense not a single of second of, them, of yeah. like political bullshit no. yeah it's like they, uh, they're answering it from their you know morals and values and i think you yeah. know we talk about it all the time on the show so many people are just like dying for that right now somebody with values and morals and that will stick to them so it's yeah. super refreshing to see yeah just she's, that she's got like a really solid like like she's got really solid principles you know yeah <laughs> what were you gonna say chris um so i was just gonna say uh when when cam was talking i was gonna say and he kind of said it afterwards it's just like it's not just her credentials that were impressive it was just her like answers and her uh, how her ability to just extrapolate on her ideas and stuff. She she clearly really understands her job and right. is very good at it. So yeah. and, um, it's great to see. And you know, so often you talk to people that you know are you would consider the opposite of you know maybe her philosophy and ideology, and they really can't reason through their arguments. A lot of it's emotion driven, and yeah. you yeah. know when they get to that point where they're like oh shit i'm in over my head it's just like racist uh they just start throwing out the catchphrases and mm. yeah and i loved her her ending uh kind of like closing statements about you know how she sticks to her values and and all these things and she's like uncompromising in that sense and it just uh i was gonna i was telling you guys in the break like it reminds me of ron paul right which we're all big fans of how you know 
all of these votes, and they kind of alluded to it in the article that we're talking about, which, by the way, is a Vero News article from the July 14th edition. Um, and um, she, they talk about how, uh, you know, you know, yet another four to one vote where Jacqueline Rosario, you know, right. is the is the, the as outcast. she put it, the Lone Ranger. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and they make it seem like it's a bad thing. But, you yeah. know, we've watched Ron Paul throughout his career be the lone no vote on mm. so many things that now, 10, 20 years later, everybody's looking back and and regretting mm-hmm. what they voted for in those votes. And Ron Paul was the only one who stood up for what he believed in. And, you know, that looks pretty good. And it, <laughs> and it's something that's really ironic, as, as you were just saying that. Um, I think back to uh, Bernie Sanders and how so many people on the left praise him for never compromising on his values. And then, you know, when somebody on the right, on the opposite end of the spectrum, does it, it's viewed as like, mm-hmm. oh, the outcast, as she said, the Lord well, Ranger. The, it's the extremist. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, the mm-hmm. non-compromising extremist. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, yeah, uh, whatever. Yeah. Line. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. And, and we were kind of discussing this again, like we said on the break a little bit. We hope, I mean, we're going to reach out to people who are also on maybe the opposite side of her or, you know, going against her and going against uh, Thomas. And hopefully they're able to talk to us and we'll ask them very similar, if not the same exact questions. And, you know, we're not really in a sense biased towards any one of them, but just again, more to have a conversation and to see what they say and kind of feel them out and just kind of have more of a longer form area for people to hear them than a, you know, a TC Palm article that asks the same, you know, same questions every fucking year. Um, whatever it may be but again just because again i think that's more interesting than just kind of not either not having them on or just having the one side on it would be nice to have you know at least one opposing viewpoint on this correct just ask them the same questions and yeah let's save that and um yeah we'll see what they say maybe we can tailor them a little bit more to them so they don't get so triggered by them but uh no fuck them trigger them <laughs> but uh no that would be interesting but my instincts tell me that we're probably not going to be able to get any of them off, yeah and, who, and more likely not but who knows if we do it's and they're great and they actually answer those questions in well, a way that we yeah appreciate yeah, I'll praise them the for same lack way. of trying exactly yeah yeah but again, thank you to both of them for being yeah, on. Yeah, also, Thomas, I think did great, too. I thought, like, all of his responses I, were awesome I, as well. I thought his point about the um, about the monopoly that the, um, what's it called? The uh, the non-production company or the no. uh, publishing companies yeah. have on the yeah. textbook market. I didn't even think about that. That is just such a, like, such such an important thing because it's like a that no one uh, speaks about yeah and to me it's just such a like convenient way to like brainwash is just like to have these massive publishers that have like literally they have a a monopoly on the history that your kids are learning so wow. like you know that's really important if we're going to if we're going to learn from our history and not repeat our mistakes we need objective true history yeah. And we need it to explain to us how that relates to our modern day, um, you know, our modern day situations and how we can prevent from uh, from repeating these mistakes. For me, that's just one thing that's really important is is the subject of history specifically. And, uh, you know, I've seen history textbooks that, you know, when I was in high school, I read them like they were the Bible and, you know, just believed everything that was in there. And then when I became an adult and started reading things that were 
fringe, as they would say, and started realizing, oh, wait, that's these aren't the only views on these things that are out there and started kind of reviewing some of the evidence and, and realizing that, oh, they actually taught me some, like, some subjects were actually total crap. And you're like, yeah. really you're like wait, a, wait a second. The Indians and the, and the pilgrims didn't make fucking hand turkeys at Thanksgiving? <laughs> yeah. The lying sacks of shit? That was the first thing that kind of <laughs> tipped me off. Uh, but uh, this, this next half of the show is going to be interesting because Bookie's been like... <laughs> Trying to keep it together the entire no. hour and a half. Oh, God. Before we move on to a Florida man, I just want to say, obviously, we appreciate Thomas being on. But being as what I would assume is a white male, we want to make sure we give, you know, recognition to Rosario. She was great. <laughs> they want to focus more on him than her. I, I, I did like, I also liked his point, um, again, because that article talks about the uh you know the anime porn that's in the libraries and it's like you know it's like oh but nobody they what, li- what libraries is the school libraries can i go to <laughs> no. i'm gonna but burn no, you but no i like i like how the um how he brought up you know he kind of criticized the fact that this article was like oh they haven't been checked out in three years and it's like okay what does that mean they yeah. shouldn't be in the fucking library they, they anyway. exist yeah, yeah they exist in a school library yeah. Is there like a weird echo? Did I just? I think like it's just me and you. Drink too right. much. Okay, all right. You guys got an echo? Like slight, but it's not bad. Deal with it. I was trying to figure yeah. out what was happening. Nick, Nick, make the echo worse. Yeah. Ramp it up. Just make, yeah. Cameron's like, right. yeah. So I lose my mind. Cameron's like, dude, this Cooper's is way more than hundred <laughs> percent. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know, guys. I got nothing. No, on you're there. good. Yeah, right. it's fine. I just deal with it. I just feel like I'm in it's not like a anymore. giant hallway. But uh, I get I murdered it. by Did I fix it? Did I fix it? Yeah, you fix it. All right, cool. So let's jump into the. Yeah. Thank you guys for being on. Buddy. Yeah, thank you again. Um, yeah. Florida man talk. So this first article. Uh, well, maybe we should explain what Florida man. Maybe there's some people. <clears> yeah, probably listened. people are going to listen to this podcast that a lot more. Anyways. All right, I'll let you. You no, too. You go. You're, no, no, you bring you it up. You're the one that wanted to no, explain let's it. Have, let's have Chris explain yeah, Chris. it. All right. So every 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 podcast we like to. End on sort of a lighter note. A lot of times it's not too light. It's actually very, <laughs> it's actually very, it's actually very violent and morbid. But um, we like to end on some Florida man stories mm-hmm. and just uh, kind of discuss them and uh, you know offer our thoughts and opinions off on, the cuff. Off the cuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This first one is from bottle, Fox Bottle Deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this first one's from Fox Thirteen, Tampa Bay. Florida sheriff releases video of armed intruders fleeing when intended victim defends home. Opens fires. Open fires. Opens fire. (laughs) Here's the audio. Yeah. All right, so here we got two gentlemen, three gentlemen at the front door. They look like youths. They're dapping up the guy who answers. Oh, trying to dap up the guy who answers the door. Lost that. Oh, Oh, they all rush in. One has a gun that we can see. Oh, yeah, one of them has a gun. He's trying to load it, but... Didn't look like it was working very well. There's a, some commotion. They all going start on. running. Oh, shots fired. They all hop in the car and get off. Get on with it. So, well, wow. you probably slow down. They might go further. But based on what the article stated, three of the suspects approached the victim home while a fourth waited in a car. When the victims unlocked the when the victim unlocked the front door, two of the men allegedly pushed their way inside and started attacking him. While the third waited outside with a handgun. The victim was armed but lost his gun during the scuffle. Then ran to the back of his house and grabbed an AK-47 style <laughs> rifle, which he started firing at the intruders. Escambia County Sheriff Chip Simon said, 
He did absolutely nothing wrong, Simon said. Fox and friends first on Thursday. If someone breaks into my front door, barges and attacks me or my family, they're going to get shot, and I afford that same consideration to the residents of my county. What a G. Mug shots of DeTorrance, Leanders, Hackworth, and Antonio (laughs) Dwayne Dean Jr., all of the suspects, fl- oh, that was explaining the picture. <laughs> All of the suspects fled once the homeowner started firing. Three of them have since been identified and two have been arrested. The Torrens Hackworth, 20, and Antonio Dwayne Dean Jr., 18th, were both charged with use or display of a firearm during a felony, possession of a fer- felony, or de- blah, 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 blah. possession of a firearm by a felon, and other counts. So I read another article, maybe it wasn't this one, that when they barged in, he already had like a pistol on him. Mm. The homeowner? And yeah, they knocked it down and lost. grabbed it. Yeah. And then he somehow was able to run and grab another gun. Which Damn, hell yeah. This guy's strapped. Dude. See, I think he's got I think guns this... all over the place. That's literally that's like my house. Yeah. I don't have kids, so I can just leave them all over the place. I have, I have... Chris is playing dog drool on his fucking ARs. <laughs> no, they're like where, you know, nothing can touch them. Yeah. Like, I have vacuum- very easy to grab them. I have vacuum sealed handguns in the tanks of all my toilets. <laughs> yeah. Oh you need God. a you need a pooper handgun. Yeah. And you need a shower gun. Too. You don't want to get caught with your britches down, so <laughs> without a piece. You start you start uh petting one of Chris's uh golden uh doodles and you like un- get the underbelly you're like, what is that? <laughs> yes. fucking handgun my doodles here. are strapped, bro. <laughs> yeah, uh Murphy has like a belly band on with a gun on it. Uh no. No, but I think um, it worked out perfect, actually, because it always, like, runs and hides behind yeah, you. Yeah, right. You, so. As an intruder, you would never be able to get next to Murphy because he'd just run. <laughs> yeah, he'd run away. Uh, he'd run to you or Emily. Uh, no, but I think what this video does is beautifully exemplifies the reason why, uh, you know, assault weapons should uh, should remain legal for civilian use. You know what they say? No one needs an AR-15 Well, or AK-47. I yeah. mean, what if you have three guys that kick in your, well, yeah, basically kick in your front door and try to, you know, attack you yeah. with with firearms. And like, that's yeah. the, I, also, I also don't know the strategy here. Like, is it because they have an Escalade in the parking lot that they, they, this is a good guy to rob? I, almost, like, why not rob a house that has no one in it? <laughs> it, I mean, it almost looks like they knew the guy, no? Maybe, yeah. That, that first guy, it. like, tried to, da- I don't know. R- regardless what the situation is, this is... Exactly why you need an AR-15 or an AK-47. If I'm going to be fighting for my life, I'm not, like, it's not going to be a fair fight. I'm going to use every advantage I can to survive. Nick's Nick's throwing out the C4. Yeah, Shooting at midair. Yeah. (laughs) If I want to blow my house up to defend my life, that's on me. Yeah. Yeah. These guys are lucky that our base bro wasn't here. Yeah. 50 yards, he would have fucking hit him through the ankle. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Right? Achilles tendon just knocked Uh, out. He's like, you're going to take my gun? I don't think so. And and I think that story is also just a really good uh, case study in the just the fact that a... um, a rifle is such a better home defense gun than a handgun. Right. Um, because handguns are hard to handle. They're, you know, they're small. They're, uh, and this guy dropped it. So it's like, you know, it's, right. it just goes to show that a handgun just isn't a very good self defense weapon. The only reason it makes a good everyday carry weapon is because it's easy to conceal and you can carry right. it on you easily. Um, it, a rifle is a superior weapon in every single instance. I took I took your little sister shooting. Thirteen years old. I let her shoot my handgun, my rifle. Thanks for the invite. Um. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, and afterwards, I you know, I asked her. I was like, you know, which one was your favorite to shoot? And 
you know, she said the AR-15, and I was like, how come? She's like, because it was the easiest to shoot. Yep. And Every woman in my family, too. Yeah, like, it's, I mean, even, yep. yeah, yeah. Every Anybody I've ever let that, you know, is not a gun person, hasn't really ever shot, they always enjoy shooting the rifle more because it's 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 less violent to shoot. Yeah. A lot of yeah. people think that that's not true. It is. It's, it's, it's you have your entire body behind the gun versus mm-hmm. your hand. Um. It's just, it's just way easier, way more enjoyable to shoot. Mm-hmm. All right, so next story. Must see. Uh, we're going to talk about manatees this oh, episode. Oh, Must see. Manatee steals Florida boys surfboard in viral video. Kill so, them all. What? <laughs> Line them up against the wall. Tomahawks and hand grenades. <laughs> Tomahawks and hand grenades. What is going on? He's yelling, don't touch me. So There's yeah, a little this... kid out in the surf on a surfboard, and a manatee is literally grabbing his surfboard and... What? Swimming away what? with it. And this is the thing manatees do. They like to swim upside down and like to grab things. <laughs> I don't know where this comes from. Probably because we haven't been able to kill them for the past, like, 50 years. Apparently, they like to do that to boat engines, too. Yeah, they, they like do. To swim upside wow. down and grab them. But, uh, a Florida family captured a once-in-a-lifetime encounter with a wild manatee as they were waiting to catch some waves off Fort Pierce Inlet on July 4th. That's wild. In a now viral video that was shared with News Channel 8, two friendly manatees... They didn't look friendly. They were robbing this man. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were, were robbing deep. that kid blind. Two friendly manatees approached the family who are locals to the area as they waited for the waves. Husband and wife Brandon and Lisa Blaze told WJXT... Their sons, Evan and Logan, were out surfing when two manatees came up on them and started swimming around them. Soon after, one manatee was caught on video swimming up to Evan and playfully stealing his surfboard. I, can we fairly say that that was playful? That's a bad, uh, is that an adjective? It's been a long time in school. Yeah. It looked like he was down the wrong alley. Playing? You know, like, well, like, in the middle of the night. That was a forceful this is, take. This is a <laughs> classic, classic case of manatee washing. Uh, they, <laughs> they don't want to admit that these manatees are, thieves. are violent thieves. Yeah, <laughs> violent, hungry thieves. I wonder how much ocean pollution is caused by manatees stealing things that shouldn't be in the ocean. For <laughs> That's it. That's it. Dragging the boy, them out the sea. Just another reason we should be hunting them. Uh, the boy laughed and let go of the surfboard as the manatee floated on its back, holding the board against its stomach. That is a... It was kind of cute, it's, though. It's weird yeah. that the article doesn't go on further and says the kid got pulled out by a roof current after that and died horribly. <laughs> but, uh... That's that's awkward they didn't put that in. Also, also like, that, that little boy needed to be, like, perhaps, like, a little bit tougher. And but be like, hey, you can't, cow, you like, can't touch mine. If he touches them, he goes to jail. <laughs> yeah, which is screwed up, right? Yeah. Yeah, Imagine if there was, like, a class of people that could rob you and you couldn't touch them. <laughs> Manatee people? Yeah. Unreal. Dude, what if that kid did have a tomahawk and just fucking just... He, and he right was, to the he, fucking dome. He was dude. wearing a politics on the rocks rash guard. So, before we get to the next story, um, I work at a restaurant, and behind the restaurant is a little section of the river. And the past couple of days, there's been this massive mass that's been floating in that little area section that behind us. Mm-hmm. And at first, we're like, oh, it's probably like a trash bag. Someone yeah. just stupidly put it there. But as like the current. It was a person? It was. It looked like a manatee. Oh, yeah. It looked like a dying manatee not able to go under the surface fully. Uh-huh. And just like half it sitting above the surface. Wow. Huh. And it would just like go along with the current, but then sometimes fight against the current. So it would go against it sometimes and also follow it. Oh, wow. I was like, we could probably cook this up pretty easily. <laughs> probably put it on the menu. Yeah. Isn't uh, Manatee Grill right there? It is. <laughs> yeah. Dude, right. maybe they got Do loose. Do they serve Manatee there? Probably. Uh, you would think probably so. Probably used to. Yeah, it's not on the menu anymore. <laughs> Back but in the 50s. Yeah, it's in their burger meat. <laughs> 
But yeah, so right, I, I firsthand ready? saw possibly a manatee dying, hmm. which I was pretty happy about. Every day <laughs> I went to work, I'm like, this better thing better be out there. <laughs> Unreal. All right, here's the next one. Florida official caught on video dropping a title after being pulled over for speeding. In a Ferrari. In a Ferrari, bro. Yeah. Waiting for a response from Flagler County Commission Chairman Joe Mullins this morning. A trooper stopped him on I-95 for speeding and a red Ferrari. Take a look at what happened next. So 92 miles an hour is 22 over the speed limit, okay? Normally I give warnings, I give breaks, but I've already, it looks like you've been given a warning already. Um, so I do issue the citation. Um, with that being said, it's, it's going to be payable within 30 days. Well, this happened back in June. As the trooper explains the citation, Mullins cuts him off to say he knows how the process works. <laughs> Idiot. You run the county? Yeah, I'm the chairman of the county. Oh, why would you say well, that? The trooper continued to explain the citation, saying he didn't want any miscommunication. Mullins then takes off, and as you see, he kind of sped off what? there when he left. Oh right? So God. we asked the commissioner for an explanation of what he meant by his statement. We have not yet received a reply. Oh, that's weird. So did he, he didn't issue the citation? A Florida county commissioner with a lead foot dropped his title twice in back-to-back speeding incidents, declaring, I run the county in one of the traffic stops. Footage of the case, cases show. In the latest encounter, Flagler County Commissioner Joe Mullins was in his red Ferrari when he was pulled over by a Florida Highway Patrol trooper on June 19th, according to the report. Mullins had been traveling 92 miles an hour in a 90-mile-an-hour zone on Interstate 95. But let's be real. That's even not that's not really even that fast for 95. Yeah, that's well, pretty much the average It's speed. average, but once you get close to the northern border, you got to slow down a little bit. They're a little hefty up there. you got to mm-hmm. hit the 84, put it on cruise control until you get to Georgia. Anyway, as the trooper is talking to Mullins, the trooper stops and says, I'm sorry. Mullins then says, I run the county, so I know how that works. You run the county? Question mark. The trooper replies. Mullins replies, yes, I'm the chairman of the county commission, according to the dash cam footage obtained by Fox 35. The trooper then continues to explain the citation before Mullins is seen zooming away at the end of the encounter. On June 2nd, Mullins was pulled over in a Mercedes-Benz SUV for going 89 in a 60-mile an hour. No, that's uh, that's a little pushing okay. it. Okay, okay. According to the Daytona Beach News <laughs> Journal, after Is this the their two... guy? Yeah. That's him? It looks like he does a lot of cocaine. Yeah. yeah. He's not the, <laughs> not the kind of politician we love. No, he is no... He's the kind Jackie of guy. Jackie Rosario. <laughs> He's the kind of guy... After the two troopers talked with Mullins, they go back to a patrol car where one trooper says he said he was a county commissioner, to which the other trooper replies, yeah, well, he's getting a ticket. <laughs> uh, the newspaper also reported the trooper who spoke to Mullins can be heard threatening to arrest Mullins at one point if he gets out of the SUV. According to the Highway Patrol dispatch notes obtained by the local outlet, Mullins stated it could be a career-ending move if I arrested him for failing to obey a lawful order. The police report also stated Mullins was extremely condescending, belligerent, illogical, and disrespectful, and alleged he flashed his business to car to get out of the ticket. Mm. Not good. Not great. Um, Not a good look for uh, Mr. Mullins here. If I was that state trooper, I would have been like, yeah, well, I run the state. Yeah. <laughs> well, I run these roads, I reckon. <laughs> I run these roads. Yeah, these roads is mine here, you see. <laughs> you see those roads, they international? <laughs> That's what I run, bitch. Oh, uh, man. That's crazy. Yeah, that's. I mean, which is weird because that's not uncommon for those commissioners to be like that in, that, in a no. sense, right? No. You you remember the um? It was like a viral video, but it was like, it was. Like, it, it I think was, it was a judge getting pulled over. Is that the one you're talking? Well, about? it wasn't a judge. It was like her kids or something. 
Mm. No, excuse me. It was like her kids, and then she pulled up, and she's like, "I'm the so and so." Like, like just so? let them go. Yeah, she like. I, I wonder. What, Boom! Now you get a ticket for. Yeah, no. This lady. An this lady was like in a, completely irrational. Yeah. And just totally disrespectful. That's like, so un- awful. That's so uncommon. Yeah. Imagine. Imagine so common with government officials to be unrational. <laughs> um, yeah, I t- expect more than it deserves. Just blows my mind. Um, I had something to say, but I forgot. Yeah. Mm. All right. It yeah, happens okay. at this time mm. of night. Yeah. <laughs> it's whiskey hour, huh? Whiskey Cooper's Craft. Was it Craft? Well, uh, I think that's all we got for you guys yeah. tonight. That was um, good, by the way, for for a $30 bottle. Oh, man. I got to say, it's pretty good. Cooper's Craft, 100 proof. $30. It's pretty much a bottle on bond, but it doesn't say bottle on bond, so it's not legally has mm. to go through all those things. Yeah. It's good. For $30? $30. Bucks. Yeah, it's pretty good. Mm. Mm. I wanna... And you drink half it, which is obvious. Oh, okay, first okay. off. <laughs> what makes it so obvious, Cam? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the fact that, that everything he says turns into a squeaking voice. Yeah. Or, or the fact <laughs> that he's wearing his sunglasses yeah. at like 10 o'clock at night. Or the well, fact that he's speaking in cursive. These <laughs> glasses are helping with he sounds like He sounds like Don Vito right now. <laughs> no, this is, this is a good episode. Um, I think if people liked us... Speaking to the local officials, they should let us know because this is something we could kind of reach out and do more. Yeah, yeah hopefully, right? Yeah. It was definitely cool because we've done videos talking about uh, Rosario, you know? In school it's, board. It was yeah. cool to meet her and, like, get to know her just, like, beyond, like, the articles and, like, the short you know, yeah. videos we watch. So that that is cool. I like that a lot. Hey, that's yeah, that's something that's so valuable. I yeah. think that's why podcasts have taken off so much. It like yeah. you know, we're we're so used to these, you know, five minute you know, these panels where you have seven people on them and each person gets thirty seconds to talk and it's like yeah. how do you like you, you can't possibly take anything away from that, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we just got to spend thirty minutes with each of these people and get like a way more in depth answer about questions and you know it's just and we even le- would want longer honestly <laughs> what did what you just say in my head that came out fine <laughs> yeah, that came out fine no we we would uh, honestly want longer right like we would appreciate like an hour hour and a half that would be yeah, yeah this was something that was kind of set up not really set up last minute no, but, but um, i'm just saying we had two people yeah in think, one podcast it kind of takes a little right i yeah. think we definitely will probably have both of them on at some point and do yeah i appreciated the fact that them. both of them were kind of like you know yeah yeah um, we said that we initially set a 20 minute timer for their sake but yeah they were you know they were happy to go even longer which, which i thought was great. super cool yeah yeah it was very cool and um, I, I just remembered what I was going to say, which isn't going to be really that funny. Go now, ahead. But <laughs> that, that Joe Mullins guy in the red Ferrari, I was going to say he's almost as cocky as uh, Brian Barefoot. Ooh, yeah, almost. Ah, yeah. uh, Barefoot. But I would that also article. say. I love the, at the beginning of that article, he's just like hyping himself up. Dude, the first, <laughs> I'm the like, first, calm like, down, the first like 500 words is just him talking about how overqualified he yeah. is. And you can tell he wrote. Like he's like you know wrote half of this article for this dude. Yeah, I don't need this job. Yeah, okay, then don't do it. Then, yeah, yeah, then give it to somebody else. Yeah, I do this for fun. But uh, get out of here for you know our normal listeners who you know appreciate us, which we do appreciate you appreciating us, appreciates us, appreciates you. Um, <laughs> you know this is something different. You know, spread it. You know, we obviously want you to spread our podcast around normally, but again, this is us speaking to local officials who do have a say of what's going to go on within our school board. Yeah. So share this with your friends, your family, 
put it on yeah. Facebook, put mm-hmm. it on TikTok, you know. Yeah. Put yeah. it on everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of our... Uh, I put that shit on everything. A lot of our listeners, like, Texas made Peace bad Boy? decisions, like, you know, really early in their life and have multiple kids. So, like, <laughs> you know, this is important to you. Yeah. You know, like, you should... Nah, I don't know. Most people I know that had kids in high school. I'm just kidding. Not the best parents. I don't think they care They're not the best... You know, they're... they're, 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 they're uh, just roasting our listeners. They're, coming, they're, they're bouncing back, you know. They're making better decisions now. Yeah. Now that they're like, I think you're giving them too now, much credit. Now that their son is 12 year old, is just snorting cocaine oh, off the floor. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I should probably get involved with this kid's education. <laughs> <laughs> He's not doing too good. Long story, long story short, you know, vote uh, Thomas, Kenny, and Jackie Vesalio. Cheers to that, boys. This Cheers. Is great episode with great people. Cheers. 52 on the books. 52 yep. on the books. And with that. Good time. We met some girls, some dancers who gave a good time. Broke all the rules, played all the fools. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they blew our minds. I was shaking at the knees. Could I come again, please? Yeah, the ladies weren't too kind. You've been thunderstruck.